come to a point where we make a decision about who this Jesus is. You could trust him, you could fear him, you can hate him, but you can't ignore him, friends. You can't ignore him. And these people could not ignore the witness and the signs and wonders that were being done amongst the apostles. You can't ignore the witness of the apostles. They were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. You can't ignore the scriptures, a, a book that is, has shown itself to be absolutely valid and true for thousands upon thousands of years, that, that it's been passed down from generation to generation that testifies about the truth about Jesus Christ. You can't deny the power that this church is still here 2,000 years later, that the world and Satan, they've tried to snuff us out, but here we are still to this day. Why? Because God's great power. You can trust him. You can fear him or you can hate him, but you can't ignore that Jesus is the Lord of glory. But here's the beautiful truth. This powerful God is giving this gracious invitation to all who would come to him, and he invites us all into his powerful kingdom because he's full of grace. A couple of months ago, my family, we, we took a road trip. In case you didn't know, we were driving here to Fairfax, Virginia. We were so excited about it. We started in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, and before we said goodbye to California as our home, I said, guys, we've got to take a trip. Now, this trip was, was a lot of fun. It took about nine and a half to ten days, right, guys? And uh, we, we came from the West Coast, and we spent a lot of time west of the Rockies, but, but we noticed that there were huge differences between the places that we were driving to. One of the places that we went to, a national park, was, was the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? You go to the Grand Canyon and you see something that you just almost cannot stop looking at. There was a moment when, in our trip, I'm like, guys, we've, we've got more driving to do tonight and it's going to get dark soon. We, we got, I know this canyon's amazing. We got to stop staring at it. And, and then I forced everybody in the van and we, we took off and we were just in awe of this amazing thing that was undeniable. I'll tell you a place so that was really easy to deny and sleep through and you know, scroll through your phone, Kansas. Now, if any of you are from Kansas... <laughs> If any of you are from Kansas, I am so sorry. It's, it's beautiful, wonderful, very kind people. I love the barbecue in Kansas City, in fact. It was great. It was awesome. But I'll tell you, that's a place that it's easy to deny. It's just you drive through. It's flat. It's kind of boring. And, you know, sometimes we like to think that Jesus is, is kind of like Kansas. You know, it's, it's nice. It's flat. It's not really all that appealing. It, it, it really doesn't leave that much of an impression on me. Jesus has great teachings. He teaches us to love our neighbors. And, you know, he's got some good things to say about how we ought to treat one another. But, but really, I could just kind of ignore him because there really isn't anything all that significant except for some maybe some morals to apply to my life. Friends, I'm telling you, our Lord Jesus is not Kansas. He is the Grand Canyon. He is a powerful, powerful God that you cannot deny. Now, you could hate him, you could fear him, but oh, I pray that you'd put your trust and faith in this undeniable power of God in Jesus Christ. You see, human power is no match for God's power. You could trust this power, you could fear it, you could hate it, but you cannot deny it. Number two that we see from this passage. I love this. God gets the last laugh when we think his power has been handcuffed. God always gets the last laugh when we think his power has been handcuffed. You see, the religious leaders, they sought to handcuff God's power uh, that was on display through the apostles. And in verse 18, it says that, that the religious leaders, the, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they put uh, the apostles in public prison. They wanted to put it on display before everyone. Look who's really in charge here, people. 
You see these guys preaching and teaching. You see mighty powers done through them. But we want all of you to see publicly right here who's in charge. It's us. You think that uh, this God is working mightily through them? These guys know nothing. They're, they're not like us. We hold the real authority and the real power. This was meant to be a sign to all that they held the authority and the power over the temple and over God's people. But see, they felt the need to put on a show and, and put on a public spectacle to demonstrate their supposed power. But I love this. I love this moment. Just when you think these guys are starting to feel like, all right, we finally have the upper hand on these, 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 uh, these yo-yos, these bozos over here. We finally have them. We see just this awesome story. Friends, I want to tell you, read your Bibles and read them, read them with, with joy and anticipation because I think Luke is doing something here and he's going to do it later on throughout the book of Acts where it's this, this irony, this almost Shakespearean irony. Here these guys are that think they have all the power and the authority and what does God do? It says in verse 19, during the night... God doesn't need to show any spectacle to show off his power. He can do it in the secrecy of night. An angel of the Lord comes and sets the apostles free. Now, this was a, a miracle. I, I don't know how it worked because later we see that the captain of the guard goes back and says, wait a minute, the, the, the jail cells were closed and the guards were still there. I don't know. Did, did the angel let them out like by a back door? I have no idea. We don't know, but we do know that it was a powerful miracle. And we do know that it displayed God's mighty Power. It was miraculous, yet it was done privately. No spectacle necessary to reveal God's power. And the angel commanded uh, these disciples. Remember, an angel is, is an, a messenger, really. Of course, a spiritual being, but it's, it's a messenger from God. And this messenger with God's message to the apostles as he's setting the apostles free was, go back and stand publicly in the temple and speak the words of this life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what did the apostles do? They obeyed the message of God and, and they went back and they believed the message from this angel rather than listening to the religious authorities. Friends, this is, this is awesome. I mean, I, I love it here. As you read down in verses 21, the second half of verses 21 and 22, you, you see that, that they wake up in the morning, the religious leaders, right? And they're thinking, okay, I, can't, I haven't been able to sleep all night. I'm so excited to put these guys on trial. We've got them handcuffed. We've got them right where they are. And we're going to prove to them and to everybody else that we have the authority and the power. But, but I love what it says down here. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 24. The captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words uh, that the, the apostles were missing, and they were greatly perplexed. I mean, you could almost just stand and see them standing there like, what in the world is happening here? They're scratching their heads. And as readers of the Bible, we should enjoy this kind of stuff because what we see is that God, he, he's a master writer. Luke is a master writer to show us, you know what, friends? It may seem like God's power is handcuffed, but oh, God always gets the last laugh. You can see God looking down from heaven and saying, look at those guys looking for my people, looking for my apostles. Don't they know they can't put handcuffs on my power? And what the religious leaders are standing there just kind of scratching their heads. It's like, what in the world is happening here? Oh, my friends, the irony, the irony, the beautiful irony that teaches us this lesson. God knows how to get the last laugh, friends. You can't pull one over on God. I hate when I get fooled. I hate when I get lied to. You probably feel the exact same way. I, I hate that. It makes you feel small. It makes you feel embarrassed and humiliated. Our friends, our God does not feel that way. He is a mighty God, full of power, and he knows how to get the last laugh. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. Many years before our events here in Acts, 
uh, the psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Here we are, our story right here, right? The religious leaders taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, who we know is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is what they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away uh, their cords from us. We can get by these guys, right? But listen to the attitude of God. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. There is nobody that can stand up to our God and say, I got one on you, God. I got one on you. I pull a fast one on you, God. God is looking down at these religious leaders saying, man, you guys are trying to prove a point. You got to remember, I will be praised. I am the king and I am the Lord. I think I told you about a friend of mine uh, that I, I, a precious pastor, a man back in California, his name is uh, Fernando. He's from the Philippines, but he went on a trip to, to go uh, uh, to, to spread the good news about Jesus Christ in the Middle East, in the United Arab Emirates. And there it is illegal to, to publicly uh, pass out um, materials and information uh, that, that would uh, seek to convert someone from Islam to another religion, specifically Christianity. And so he was there, and uh, he was a part of a missionary organization seeking to do everything he could to obey the local government, but he also recognized this message of the good news has to get out, Acts 1.8. This gospel has to go to the ends of the earth. And so he's there, and he's passing out tracts, and he's teaching people and, and doing various things. Well, uh, one day he gets this knock on the door, and he thought it was somebody that was coming that he had made an appointment with earlier to share the good news with them, but they had said him up and they came to his door and they arrested him and they put him in prison. Now, my friend Fernando spent uh, several uh, months in prison. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He feared for his life that the government would just kind of erase him and then tell his, uh, tell his bride that he had passed away in prison or something like that. But he was praying and trusting in the Lord. But as they got back to the end of his case, uh, they were reviewing his materials and it got back to the courts. And, and what happened was this beautiful irony of God getting the last laugh. Uh, as he's in prison there for speaking the gospel and spreading these uh, Christian materials, what happened was is his case reached all the way to the highest religious leaders. They heard his case, and here's the ironic part about it. They were required by law to review all of his gospel tracts and materials. Uh, I mean, here it is. And as I'm talking to my friend Fernando, he just kind of pauses and he looks at me and he goes, I never thought in a million years that I'd be able to share these materials with the religious Muslim leaders of this country, yet here they were. And, and I love when he shares this testimony, he says, God is not bound by prisons. He's not bound by bars. He's not bound by handcuffs. What Fernando thought in that moment was maybe the end of his life and, and the end of his ministry there. God had used that as an opportunity that now these, these gospel-centered materials would re re reach the highest levels of authority in the land. And he was released. He was sent back to the Philippines, but he praised God thinking, Lord, I never, ever in a million years would have dreamed what I, I would have had this opportunity. That's what our God can do. Our God always gets 
the last laugh. He is the one that has bigger plans than our plans. He's the one that has bigger plans than any human authority. You see, imprisonment, persecution, suffering are no laughing matter indeed, friends. I'm not here to make light of the suffering of Christians all over this world, but the message for us for those that are committed and devoted to are the one true God in Jesus Christ is this, is that he is not deterred in the slightest by the vain threats of his enemies and the enemies of his people. He is not deterred at one moment, friends. Our God knows how to get the last laugh, and he will. He will. The king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon uh, in the 6th century BC, many, many years ago, he learned this lesson the hard way. You see, he was walking on the top of his palace one day and, uh, in Babylon and one of the great wonders of the world. And he thought to himself, look how awesome I am. <laughs> he said, this is great. I am the king over the, all the world. And, and I say it and it happens. No one has higher authority and power than me. And at that very moment, God struck him down and caused him to act like an animal. I, think, I believe it was for like seven years and he was caused to act like an animal. He grew fur like an animal. His nails grew long like claws. And, and whenever dignitaries would come from foreign countries, they'd say, we want to come meet the king. They'd say, he's out there in the fields eating grass like an animal. God humiliated him for a season. And one day, he came to his senses, and this is what he says in Daniel 4, 34 to 35. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stop or stay his hand or say to him, what? What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson. Our God is the one who holds all the power and all the authority. Human power is no match for his power and authority. And in the end, he knows how to get the last laugh. But oh, friends, he's the one who's for you today. You may feel that you're under persecution, that you're under uh, this, this resistance and this opposition. You may feel that you hold no cards of power to be able to, to help your situation out. Friend, our God sees and he knows. He knows how to vindicate his own. Continue to wait upon him and trust in him. Human power is no match for God's power. Number three, Third thing that we see here from this passage is this. God's unstoppable power and authority demand our unwavering loyalty and obedience. God's unstoppable power and authority demand our unwavering loyalty and obedience. Verse 28 of our passage in Acts chapter 5, the, the religious leaders, they look at the apostles and say, don't you remember what we told you? We find that back in chapter 4, eight, verse 18. Don't, we remember, don't you remember that we strictly charged you not to continue to preach the name of Jesus Christ? And, and not only that, but you guys continue to preach and proclaim and do all this stuff, and you intend to bring this, blood's man, uh, this man's blood upon us. You're trying to make us guilty. Are you trying to, uh, to, to plot against us to get us killed? They felt jealousy. They felt hatred. And they also felt guilt. And so in this moment, the apostles had a decision to make. Will we listen to the authorities and the threats that they're bringing upon us? Or will we continue to do the work that God has called us to do? 
Look again at verse 29, if you've got your Bibles open. Look at what Peter and the apostles say. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. This was the deciding factor for Peter and the apostles. They recognize that human power is no match for God's power. Therefore, because the gospel is too valuable, because the gospel is too important, and because obedience to our King Jesus is too important for us to stop, we must obey God rather than men. He's standing there saying, look, you could do with us what you will, but we cannot stop because you do not have the ultimate power and authority over my life. Our God does. Our God does. This is this power struggle. Now, we need to note here that this struggle is not between the apostles and the religious leaders. That's not where the struggle is. The power struggle is not uh, those who have the authority of the temple or the land. They're not trying to figure out who's going to be in charge around here, who's going to be in charge of the temple. That's not the power struggle that's happening here. How it was a perceived power struggle between the religious leaders and the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, when, when we have opposition here, when people are asking us to do things that are outside God's commands and outside of his will, we don't make it a power struggle between us and those leaders. We recognize and say, no, I have to answer to my God. And if you have a problem with it, you could take it up with him. That's what the Peter and the apostles were doing. We must obey God rather than men. Now, for sake of time, we don't have a lot of time to cover this. But I think it's so incredibly vital for us to just pause for a moment and ask this question when should Christians disobey governing authorities? When should Christians disobey governing authorities? And that's what's happening right here in our text. So I feel that it's very appropriate for us to just take a moment and ask these questions. I wish we could do a whole seminar on this. Uh, as you know, this has been a major topic of discussion uh, throughout the last, gosh, 10, 15, 20 years beyond that. I mean, it's been going on for generations. Obviously, it all, goes all the way back to the first century. But here in the United States, we just feel the heat ramping up about all this. And I want to let you know right now, I'm going to throw a lot of notes up here on the screen. Email me, matthew at fairfaxbible.org. I can send all these to you. So don't feel the pressure. You've got to get all these down. I'd be happy to send these to you. But let's just run through this briefly together. When should Christians disobey the governing authorities? First of all, we have to remember this. Submission to the rule, submission to the authorities is uh, it's the rule. Submission is the rule, not the exception. We are called to submit to the governing authorities. You've got several passages there. Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter chapter 2 that describe as loyal and allegiant uh, followers of Jesus Christ, it's our job and our responsibility to submit to the governing authorities. Uh, the governing authorities should, if they're, if they're right and good, they should look at us as followers of Jesus and say, they're wonderful citizens. They help their fellow man. They obey. They, they, don't, they don't push back. They don't fight. They're compliant with what we ask them to do for the good of the community. So that should be the rule, friends. And so that's the first perspective we have to have. Secondly, disobedience is the exception. Disobedience is the exception. We don't get any indication that Paul, Peter and the apostles are just throwing off the authority of the religious leaders. No, they're there to obey. And in this moment, this disobedience was the exception to the rule. Well, when does, the, when does that exception come around? First of all, when those in authority over us demand that we disobey God's explicit commands. I've got several examples there for you from the Old Testament witness that God's people, Israel, were commanded or told to do something that was against God's commands. Uh, the first case here, immorality. Uh, Joseph was serving Potiphar, one of the major... Um, 
uh, leaders in Egypt, and Potiphar's wife came to seduce Joseph. She had authority over him. She came to seduce Joseph and said, come and sleep with me. Genesis chapter 39, I love Joseph's answer. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see the, the exception there? I'll do anything you want. I, I'm here to serve you, but I can't do this because I have to fear and obey God. Well, another instance that we see here is the instance of murder. Uh, in Exodus chapter 1, the Hebrew mid midwives, they were instructed by the king of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, because he was, a, he was fearing that the Hebrew people were getting too large and numerous, that they would start to, uh, an uprising against uh, Egypt and against Pharaoh. And so he said, I want you to take all the newborn baby boys and I want you to throw them in the Nile River and kill them. And they wouldn't do it. It says in Exodus chapter uh, 1, it says the, the Hebrew midwives, they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And they were commended for this and God blessed them. Here, again, an instance where God's people are called to disobey the governing authorities as the exception to the rule out of allegiance to, to Yahweh. And then again, we see uh, idolatry, and we don't have time to cover this. Great stories in the book of Daniel. If you want to look at what does it look like to submit and then disobey as the exception to the rule, read the book of Daniel. Amen? It's such a great book. But we see in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're told to bow to the, the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon had made, they said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, which was the punishment for not bowing. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They wouldn't do it. it disobeyed God's explicit commands for his people. So we see the exception. One of those is when we're asked to explicitly disobey one of God's commands. Tons of applications that we could talk through for that, but we don't have time today. Another instance, though, that we see here in the book of Acts not just disobeying God's explicit commands, but when we're told to stop doing the very thing God has commanded us to do, to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to fulfill, <coughs> excuse me, to fulfill the Great Commission. One of those exceptions is when those in authority require the church to neglect the Great Commission and to refrain from communicating God's word. We saw it in Acts chapter 4. We're seeing it right here in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We don't know what you're asking us to do completely, but we know this. We must obey God rather than men, Peter says. We must obey God rather than men. So those are the exceptions to the rule. Friends, I hope that the governing authorities, the, the council members, the, the law enforcement here in Fairfax City and Fairfax County and beyond, uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, the United States of America, that they would look upon us as followers of Jesus Christ and say, they are good citizens in this community. But if there comes a moment where we're put to the test to say, you must do this, and, it, and we have to say, I'm sorry, I can't. It's causing me to disobey God's explicit commands, or I can't but speak the good news of Jesus. I cannot. If there were ever anybody here that told us that from this stage and from this pulpit that we would have to stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, oh, I pray in that moment that me, that the rest of the elders and the leadership of this church would stand and say, we must obey God rather than men. We live in such a wonderful, beautiful, sacrificial, 
country here in the United States of America, but our allegiance first and foremost is to God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, that God's people will be prepared if that day ever comes here in our wonderful country called the United States of America. So with some, what are some attitudes and behaviors that Christians are called to demonstrate when opposing the governing authorities? I'm just going to shoot these out real quick. Matthew at fairfaxbible.org. Send me an email. I'll send these to you. First of all, don't be surprised by opposition to Christ's authority. Jesus promised that in John 15. Secondly, follow Christ's example of obedience to God through suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we walk in his steps when we suffer with him. Thirdly, maintain a good conscience by responding with gentleness, courtesy, and respect. Friends, don't get into a situation. Be prepared beforehand to know how to respond to those who oppose you and oppose God's commands. Maintain a good conscience. Oh, I've had many times where I regret, oh, how I talked to someone, how I said, said something to someone, how I disrespected another. Keep a clean, good conscience uh, when you're opposed Next, view the conflict as an opportunity not to point people to yourself. Look at me. Look at what a martyr I am. No, no, it's the opportunity to point people to Jesus and his goodness. Amen? Also, endure the opposition as you trust in Jesus. Jesus said, not a hair of your head shall perish if you would continue to trust in me. I'm so glad that is metaphorical because I don't have a lot of hair to save, right? But endure as you continue to trust in Jesus Titus chapter 3 says, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show courtesy to all people. Friends, it breaks my heart and I believe it breaks the heart of Jesus when I hear believers speaking evil of those in authority. We're called not to speak evil of them, to criticize them, but to pray for them. And if need be, challenge them with the word of God, yes, but to speak evil of no one. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, when insulted, don't retaliate, rather Bless. Bless those who persecute you. And above all, don't fear human power. Rather, honor God's power. And I want to underline that. Don't fear human power. Respect, honor, and fear God's power. And that's our big idea today. I want to bring it back to this. Human power is no match for God's power. Honor his power. Now, the fourth thing that we see, and I know I'm flying through this stuff today. I just wanted to pause for a moment, though, and talk through that. But the fourth thing we see from this passage today is this. God's unstoppable power is our source of joy and courage when we face opposition. If you remember, as we read this story today, what happened to the, the apostles? Well, they were, they were let off the hook a little bit by the Pharisee Gamaliel, but we see that really it was God's plan that they would get away. But before that, they were beaten. They were flogged. Uh, Paul describes this flogging as being 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes with a whip. They were beaten, sore, bloody, and they left. And what did they do? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. The apostles left after they'd been warned and beaten. They left by rejoicing. Why? They were worthy, counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Friends, this is true faith in God's power. This is truly realizing that human power is no match for God's power so that even when human power does its worst, we stand and say, I rejoice that I'm counted worthy to suffer with my good and glorious Savior, who's Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Friends, we, we spent some time as a leadership team as we were getting prepared to, to welcome all of you. Pastor Hang led us in a prayer for those who are suffering all over this world. Family that we have in Jesus in places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Libya, Somalia, places where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus and yet we pray for them that they would trust in the power of God because the human power is no match for God's power and they would trust in that one day that even if their bodies were slain for allegiance and loyalty to Jesus, our King and Savior is going to return. He's going to break the clouds and he's going to raise these perishable bodies into immortal bodies and we'll be with him forever and ever. This is the power of God, friends. Human power is no match for God's power. We're going to get ready to take communion now. And I just want to ask this for yourself. What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? William Tyndale, an Englishman who lived in the 16th century, had one thing he'd purposed to do in his life. And that was to translate the scripture into the common language of the people, into the English language. The Bible was read in, in Latin in the one Catholic church. And he knew that all people needed to hear the message of the Bible specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. And so he asked permission and he was refused uh, to, to do this and uh, to translate the Bible into English. And so what did he do? He fled to Germany. He translated the New Testament and then he smuggled the books into England where his translation was banned and burned. Eventually he was betrayed and he was arrested in Belgium where he spent the last 16 months of his life in a cold, dark dungeon. But before he was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536, Tyndale's last words were this, O oh Lord, open the eyes of the king. Open the eyes of the king. By 1539, that prayer was answered when King Henry VIII allowed the Bible in every parish in the Church of England. The majority of the first King James Bible, in fact, was published in 1611, was taken directly from Tyndale's Bible. But he believed that human power was no match for God's power. He didn't even get to see the fruit of all the work that he was seeking to do, but he trusted in God's power. Today, friends, what does this mean for Monday? I, I don't know what this means for you specifically, but you may have come to a point in your life where you feel like you've come to that crossroads, just like the apostles. Will I trust in human power? Will, will I Will I? Will I compromise my commitment to Jesus in this moment because I'm being pressured to do something or to stop doing what God wants me to do? Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your school as a student. That moment where allegiance to Jesus is put to the test. And as we take communion, I want us to remember this very truth that human power is no match for God's power. There's, there's no greater picture of this than in what we're about to do in partaking communion. We've got all kinds of power struggles happening in our society today, right? All we gotta do is drive, what, about 15 to 20 miles east of here and we see the seat of human power here in our great country. But, but we've got all kinds of power struggles we see it here in our country in elections and laws and rulings. We, we see it abroad in wars and coups. We, we might feel it at home. We might feel it in our own very heart, this power struggle between authority, God's authority or human authority. 
Perhaps you've been living as if you have all the authority and power even over your own life. Friend, human power is no match for God's power. He's called his people to joyfully yet courageously trust in his good power. He demands our loyalty and obedience because his power is great and good. But he always gets the last laugh. That's why we can trust in him. We can trust in him. He takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but he's graciously opened his arms to all, even those who foolishly opposed his power. That grace was offered to those religious leaders there by the apostles that day, that they could turn from their arrogance and embrace his gracious and merciful power for their lives. Friends, today, the offer stands for you today. Quit struggling against God. You can't pull one over on him, but open your arms wide and say, my power is no match for yours, God. Therefore, I submit to you. I love you. I want to obey you. I'm gonna ask you to to go ahead and prepare our hearts to to take communion now. And, And it's a little complicated, so go ahead and peel back that little plastic film and get that wafer and then you could peel back the other with the juice. And I want you to close your eyes as soon as you complete that. And let's just think for a moment that there's no greater picture that human power is no match for God's power than at the cross. That's what we celebrate at communion. These are symbols. These are symbols. The bread is the symbol of God's body and the blood is the symbol of his uh, blood that was shed for us. I mean, this juice, excuse me, is the symbol of his blood for us. At that moment, At that moment on the cross, human power, even satanic power, flexed its muscle to eliminate the Son of God. But the irony there, just like the irony of the story and the apostles being set free from prison was this, that when it appeared that human power had won, God's power was on full display at the cross. Jesus defeated all spiritual and earthly powers and rose victoriously from the grave for you and for me the beautiful and glorious irony for those who call upon the name of Jesus. I hope that's you today. The glorious irony for you is that our weaknesses actually shout most loudly about the power of our God who makes us more than conquerors. This symbol, what we're going to partake of today, reminds us that in the foolish cross of Jesus, the wisdom and the power of God were on display. And human power is no match for God's power. So as I allow you to reflect for just a moment, I want to ask you today, where's the power struggle in your heart? Maybe you've been acting as the God of your life. Maybe others have been pressuring you into situations where your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus is being put to the test. Oh, friend, today, now is the moment that we can reflect and remember. Right here in these elements, we are pointed to the most powerful moment in history when Jesus defeated sin and the grave for us while hanging on that cross. Whatever you feel today, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Call upon God's power once again afresh and say, Lord, I trust in your power that was revealed in the body and the blood.